the transmission, episode 54, March 2nd, 2009. Eloise Hawking, you sure? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, why, do you know her? Yes, John. I know her. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're coming at you from the infirmary, I'd say, this <laughs> week. We've got, uh, we're both trying to beat a bug, and even our website caught a cold. And we still appreciate your folks hanging in there. And yeah, still we still posting. got a lot of comments, even after the website was down for more than a day. So but we so love thank it. you. We love it. So we're here to talk about the latest episode of Lost. How are we going to do that? We'll recap it in eight minutes or less. Then we're going to look at it in greater detail. We hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. And then we're going to step into the forward cabin and talk about some shooting going on here on the island. So you ready? Let's get lost. All right, episode seven of season five: the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. It's a jam-packed episode. I think I, I think I think I'm ready to surrender to the eight-minute limit at this point. But we'll give it a shot. What happens? Caesar is searching through a Dharma office and he grabs a file with notes on the island and a gun. Ilana shows up and says they found a no- man that nobody recognizes. He wasn't on the plane and he wasn't one of the passengers who disappeared. They walk out to the beach, past the fuselage of the Ajira Airlines plane, to a camp on the beach. Caesar introduces himself to the man who pulls down a black hood. It's John Locke. Next, we see Ilana going to see Locke standing on the beach, and he asks about the two canoes. Ilana says that the pilot and some woman took a third. Locke asks for a passenger list. She says she has to, he has to ask Caesar, and she says that nobody remembers him on the plane. He tells her that he remembers dying. We flash back to Locke turning the frozen donkey wheel. He wakes up and throws up in mm. Tunisia, where a video camera is watching him over some barbed wire. Men drive up in a truck and throw him in the back, taking him to a hospital. They give him pills and reset his leg. As Abaddon watches, he passes out. Widmore wakes him up and tells Locke, I met you when I was 17 and you look exactly the same. Locke says it's only been four days since he walked into their camp and spoke to Widmore, and Widmore says that the spot in the desert is the exit. He says he He was the leader on the island until Ben exiled him. Locke says he wasn't exiled by Ben. He left on his own. Widmore realizes Locke is back to bring all of his friends back. And while they've been lying for three years, he'll do everything in his power to help. Locke asks why. And Widmore says, because there's a war coming, John. And if you're not back, the wrong side is going to win. Widmore gives Locke papers for one Jeremy Bentham, a philosopher like John Locke, an international phone that dials him and a folder containing everyone's whereabouts. He says he's been watching them because he's deeply invested in the island. Locke says he tried to kill everyone, but Whitmore said he wanted to eliminate Ben so it could be Locke's time to lead. Locke asks why he's so special and Widmore just says, well, you are. Abaddon <laughs> arrives and Widmore tells Locke he'll take him anywhere and protect him. Abaddon pulls out a wheelchair. First, they go to Santo Domingo to visit Saeed, who's building a school with a humanitarian group. Saeed says he's not going back. Locke says that they shouldn't have left, but Saeed says he got to marry and spend nine months with the love of his life. 
before she was murdered. Locke and Abaddon go to New York, and Locke asks Abaddon to find Helen Norwood of Los Angeles. He then visits Walt, coming out of a school. Walt says he's dreamed about Locke in a suit on the island being surrounded by hostile people. Locke says, good thing, it's just a dream. Walt also asks about his dad, and Locke says, uh, last I heard he was on a freighter near the island. Locke tells Walt he just wanted to make sure he was okay and says goodbye. Abaddon tells Locke he's zero for two in trying to convince everyone, and Locke says he only needs to convince one of them first. We then see Ben watching them from afar. Locke next goes to see Hurley. Hurley just thinks he's Locke's dead spirit, like the spirits of the others who have come to visit him. Locke says he's not dead, and Hurley asks the nurse if he's just talking to a guy in a wheelchair. When the nurse says yes, Hurley jumps up and freaks out. Locke tells him that they have to go back. Hurley says it's not going to happen. Everyone has a new life now, and he also notices Abaddon and tells Locke that he visited him, pretending to work for Oceanic. Hurley tells Locke not to trust him and refuses to hear any more, asking the nurse to take him back out uh, back inside abaddon tells Locke, that's three step up your game or we're in trouble Locke asks abaddon what he does for mr widmore abaddon reminds Locke that he visited him in the hospital when he after he got thrown from the window and told him to go on the walkabout that put him on oceanic flight 815 he says i help people get to where they need to be Locke goes to visit kate who also says no even after Locke tells her everyone back on the island is going to die she says that Locke is desperate to stay on the island because he didn't love someone mm. Locke says he did love someone named helen but it didn't work out because he was angry and obsessed she says well look how far you've come Abaddon takes Locke to Helen's grave and tells him she died of a brain aneurysm. He says even if Locke had been with her, she'd have ended up there anyway. Locke's path, meanwhile, is leading him back to the island. Abaddon asks if it's inevitable or if it's a choice and mentions Alpert's prediction of Locke's death. Locke asks why he'd choose to die, and Abaddon says, hey, I'm just your driver. But as he's putting Locke's wheelchair in the trunk, he's shot several times. Locke climbs into the driver's seat and speeds away, but gets into a serious car accident. Locke wakes up in the hospital and Jack is there. Locke says it must have been fate that brought him to Jack's hospital and Jack laughs saying it's not fate, it's probability. Locke tells Jack that they have to go back, that someone was trying to stop him from going back because he's important. Jack tells Locke that his delusions of being special aren't real, that he's not important and that he's just a lonely old man who crashed on an island. Locke tells him that his father says hello and that a man named Christian told him how to get off the island. Jack freaks out and tells Locke to leave them all alone. In his hotel room, Locke writes his note to Jack and goes to hang himself. Just as he's about to step off the table, Ben arrives and tells him to stop. Locke asks how he found him, and Ben says he's watching all of them, keeping them safe, and that Saeed called him. Ben tells Locke he's trying to protect him. Locke realizes that Ben killed Abaddon, and Ben says yes, he was dangerous and working for Charles Widmore. Ben says Widmore is the reason he moved the island so he could never find it and so Locke could lead. Ben tells Locke that he has work to do, that he's important, but Locke says he's a failure. He can't lead anyone. Ben tells Locke that Jack booked a ticket, so whatever Locke said, it worked. He says they can get the rest of them and unties the noose and helps Locke sit down. Ben suggests they go to Sun next, but Locke says no. He tells Ben that Jin is alive, but he promised him that Sun would never know. He shows Ben the wedding ring. Locke also says that there's a woman there in L.A. that can help them get back to the island named Eloise Hawking. Ben says, yeah, I know her, and then suddenly strangles Locke, killing him. Ben hangs Locke's body back up from the ceiling, wipes everything down, and as he leaves, he says, I'll miss you, John. I really will.
Back on the island, Caesar is going through more files when Locke arrives. Locke says he spent more than 100 days on this island, but he left and he doesn't know how he got back. Caesar describes how some of the people on the plane looked like a really big guy with curly hair disappeared. He asks Locke what happened. Locke says he might know how he came to be there, but he first needs to find his friends. He asks for a passenger list and whether everyone's accounted for. Caesar mentions that there were some people injured in the crash and takes Locke to the infirmary. Locke recognizes Ben and says he's the man who killed me and and thud. Thud. and that was a very rushed but still within eight minutes recap of the full life and death of Jeremy Bentham so we're going to take a quick break and catch our breath and when we come back we'll take a look at this episode in greater detail All right, so the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. We really looked forward to yes, seeing this did. episode just based on the title. Um, barely squeezed in under eight minutes, stumbling over our words, uh, it not really giving it uh, everything that it's due, of course. Um, and we didn't have a blog up the night the episode aired, so we never really had a chance to talk about what we thought. So this is actually the first time I'm asking you this question. What did you think of the life and death of Jeremy Bentham? I was overwhelmed and underwhelmed at the same time oh, okay. because there's so much going on that it's you can't possibly give everything it's the appropriate amount of time to explain mm-hmm. and that lack of explanation is kind of leaving me wanting a little bit right well i mean this is an episode the the plot of which was basically telegraphed in little pieces throughout most of season five already people were visited by jeremy bentham and so we basically see him going down his checklist and visiting them all and so to some extent there weren't many surprises there also they wanted to get through all of that and fit in some bigger picture stuff about what ben is up to and what widmore is up to so i can see in many ways yeah it's underwhelming because we sort of knew what was going to happen, what we were going to see, but also overwhelming because a lot of the stuff that we wanted to hear more about, they weren't able to give enough time to, I like think. Like the whole thing with Walt, I really don't know what the deal with Walt is. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. he goes and he talks to Walt and, hi, bye, see right. ya. Well, I mean, I kind of like that in the sense that, yes, I mean, many people, including on this podcast, are saying, what about Walt? So they basically said, yes, Locke did go to visit him, but after... You know, Walt asked about his dad, basically. Locke said, you know what? I'm not going to put this kid through anymore, so he's not going to be involved. So basically, again, it seems like they were kind of hitting all the bases, answering the points that they felt need to be addressed, but not going very deep into it. And I mean, as far as his many, many visits, they were all very brief. And his his visit with Kate, I don't, I didn't get that one at all. That was infuriating <laughs> because Kate just comes across as smug and, and nasty and... I, I, I could not figure out, I mean, it really seemed to come out of nowhere for me. Not that we are fans of Kate in any case, but like, basically, Locke, I'm not going to help you. And uh, it's the only reason why you want to go back is because you don't love anybody. And, yeah. and what is she talking about? Is she speaking now that she loves Jack, so she's staying off the island? Because I, I thought the whole thing is about how she loved Sawyer. And in fact, why wouldn't that be enough to get her to be interested in coming back? That this that the bad boy that you were infatuated with is still running around and he's not wearing a shirt. So <laughs> I don't, I, again, it, you know, all of the things that he needed to say obviously didn't resonate with people both i think viewers and these characters and Locke basically says well i guess i couldn't do it though i'm a failure i'm gonna go well, no go i mean myself. if Locke came into my house and told me i had to go back to the island i wouldn't have wanted to go either because he just didn't make very compelling arguments yeah i mean I, basically i think we were kind of expecting more out of the mysterious and uh, and larger than life sounding jeremy bentham but instead it was still the same old Locke who doesn't really have altogether that much faith in himself um as far as the episode beginning and ending of course it's on the island 
island, and we do get some pieces of information. For example, we know they're on the Hydra, which right? Is they're the, on Alcatraz, right? The second island, and that they landed the plane in pretty good condition. Yeah. Which basically says, hey, there's the runway that Sawyer and Kate them were building uh, as slave labor in season three. During the cage match episodes. That's right. So maybe something in the cage match episodes weren't entirely useless. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, he's going through the uh, he's going through the, the office and there's a Time magazine with the with the hydrogen bomb test on the cover. Right, there from, from the my, 50s. Right. Yeah. So, you know, kind of giving you a connection to the army period that we just saw with the with Jughead and the bomb and maybe hinting that there's going to be more to that time period being significant in the show. But it also I, I still don't understand who Caesar and Ilana are. No, I thought that they were agents of Ben that were put on the plane to be part of his overall plan. But they don't they seem to be completely. No, oblivious they're just kind of dropped into the storyline without any real explanation or any insight into who they are. Right. So I'm wondering, is it, I mean, could this be, I'm really worried if it's going to be another Nikki and Paulo thing where they're really just going to be random. I thought that when we first see Caesar in line behind Jack saying, you have my condolences for losing your friend, it seemed sinister enough that it sounded like, oh, he's part of a bigger plan. He's being brought up because he's up to something. But he doesn't seem to recognize John Locke, i.e. the whole Widmore side, and he doesn't seem to recognize Ben as a mastermind either. So I, I don't know if they're, they're just random people or if they're really part of a larger conspiracy yeah I'm, I'm worried about that too so ben killed Locke. did you see that coming <laughs> well i think many of us predicted that ben was the person who was responsible for Locke's demise and so that scene was one of many that we're starting to pick up on these sort of double double crosses against the viewers where you think you figured it out they prove that you're wrong just to prove that you were right in the end and uh-huh. i thought that was fantastic it was a f- great scene between michael emerson and terry o'quinn there because yes ben saves his life oh talks him down from killing himself and reaffirms the importance of John Locke before strangling him. So, and, you know, because he has the cleaning fluid and he has all of that stuff, clearly it was his plan when he showed up to basically off. Yeah, of course. So the whole process of of talking him down, I thought uh, the only explanation I can have for the way that sequence went was that Locke went to, Ben went to go see Locke to get some vital piece of information. And once Ben got it, he no longer needed Locke because we've talked from the beginning that Ben wants to replace Locke in his mission and importance on the island. So he needs to figure out what Locke's plan is before he can replace him. So Right. And the- so as soon as Locke said, well, the whole key to this is Mrs. Hawking. Ben didn't need him anymore. Well, I, there are two things that he says that surprises Ben. One, that Jin is still alive, here's his wedding ring, and Mrs. Hawking is the key to get back to the island. I'm going to guess that it's the Hawking information that was key, in part because, you know, something else happened in an earlier episode where Ben hears from Desmond that Mrs. Hawking is Daniel Faraday's uh, oh, right, mom, and right. he looks shocked and surprised. So I think maybe if we go back and we think about the larger arc of the story, that there was a rivalry between Widmore and um, Benjamin Linus on the island, and Eloise might have been in a, a factor in these 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 uh, machinations that you know all of these things and he's just continuously being surprised at how Eloise Hawking is involved so that could have been it but uh, it, it also makes me wonder is Eloise Hawking aware of what's going on because what we've seen up until this point is that Eloise Hawking and Ben have been working in concert to bring the Oceanic Six back so I guess it basically means that Ben did step in for Locke's role to get everyone to go back and so Eloise is helping him perhaps not knowing that uh, he's sta- he's He's trying to replace Locke. Right. She's probably not aware of Locke's existence at all. Mm, Which is, I think, kind of curious. That history with Widmore, I thought, was pretty key. And it kind of makes you question, again, whose side is the right side, who's the good and who's bad. I mean, Mm -hmm. are you now rooting for Mr. Widmore after Ben? I'm absolutely rooting for Mr. Widmore because I'm more convinced than ever that Ben is 
evil. Well, I think that, you know, they basically, uh, there couldn't have been anything else that Ben could have done to make you convinced that he's evil than basically strangle poor Locke to death. But I also think that it, it can't possibly be that easy either. I mean, I liked that, uh, you know, Widmore says basically the wrong side will win if you're not back. Not the good guys or the bad guys or us versus them, but wrong, you know. And uh, Knives, uh, someone on our blog, also made the same point. You know, it almost sounds, again, that they're getting to a conversation of the rules, that some things have to happen in a certain order, and if things aren't set back in their current place, the wrong thing will happen. They're right. trying to put... So uh, I think a good theory that someone brings up in our forward cabin is that everybody's really good and bad, but really they're not moving... Their movements are all in support of the same thing, which is to set things right, to do what Abaddon is doing and getting people where they need to be. But I definitely think that Ben's, uh, Ben's evil factor has gone up quite a bit with this episode. I don't know. I feel like if they were to redeem him at this point, I really wouldn't buy it. Yeah, it'd be kind of hard. He's yeah. done. He's he's turned. He's double crossed us so many times as fans that if he basically comes out in the end glowing with a halo over his head, we still won't, <laughs> we still won't believe it. But so that's a very good point. Um, I mean, I thought it was key that both Ben and Widmore tell Locke that they did what they want. They did what they did to help him lead. Right. They're both doing it for Locke, and so in, in that case, the conclusion is they're both full of. Right. Bleep. You know, they're they're both just using Locke to get what they want and that they could care less of whether or not Locke is special. He is a key to having something happen. But other than that, there's no particular vested interest or loyalty for them at all. Mm-hmm. But we do see at the very end of the episode, Ben makes it back to the island. But is he where he wants to be? I well, mean, clearly not, because I don't think he wanted to end up in the infirmary injured. No, and I think that his hope was that he'd go, he'd get flat. I mean, basically, you have the flashers and you have the crashers, and the flashers <laughs> are are, uh, are Jack and Hurley and Kate, Kate and they're back in yeah. the 70s, and um, unfortunately, Ben didn't get to go at them. He ended up in what I'm going to guess is the present, the 2007 or so, when the Ajira Airlines pl- uh, plane um, and the bottle and all that showed up. So Ben... Uh, he got back to the island, but what can he do way out beyond where he thought that he might have had an opportunity to change the way things went? I'm kind of curious. I don't think that. he can at this point. I think I think he's stuck. Well, that that makes me wonder what the arc is for his character from this point forward. He's on the wrong island. He needs to get back to the regular island for one thing, and he probably needs to want to go to where Kate and Sawyer and Jack are. So it sounds to me like Ben's mission for the rest of season five is probably going to be to get back to the frozen donkey wheel. Of so course, yeah. That'll be kind of fascinating. And if that gets twisted again, Lord knows what, <laughs> how, how, how the things are going to get scrambled in the future. I like um, that we were told basically that Tunisia is the exit point for w- when you turn the donkey wheel. Right. I mean, I think that was telegraphed from before when we saw the polar bear turn up out there as well. That's but right. I kind of liked that, you know, basically, I guess Widmore was, Widmore probably ended up there once and then he was quite surprised when Ben turns up in his bedroom and threatens his daughter. So he goes, okay, well, the next time someone gets off that island, I'm going to know about it. So the question is, was Widmore already watching that spot when Ben showed up, you know, kind of smoking and the the folks on horseback showed up? Or if that was, you know, just chance that those folks were waiting for him and Widmore was only really monitoring for the next person to follow Ben? No, I'm I'm sure that, I mean, mean, there were people there waiting for Ben um, when when he arrived in Tunisia. But he just happened to be able to beat them. And right. Because there was no uh, barbed wire, probably. That's how he got away. So, yeah, I can see I that. I mean, probably over the years, Widmore has made his made security system a little <laughs> bit more sophisticated. But I'm sure that when he showed up in Tunisia the first time he turned the wheel, he knew that this place was, you know, 
that's where it was. So yeah. I, I did like that, though. Um, kind of a nice, you know, they're talking about different places around the world that are special, that being one of the exit points. I also uh, read online that uh, even Santo Domingo is thought of as a place with special magnetic resonance. So I, I don't heard that. I don't think there's any place re- geographically mentioned on Lost that doesn't have some kind of significance like that. I liked how uh, Hurley was drawing again and were painting. Last time it was an igloo, which seemed to kind of a telegraph, sort of the polar station and all that stuff going on. And now he was painting um, the Egyptian Sphinx, right. which, you know, I think invokes the hieroglyphics, invokes the temple, invokes many things. I thought that was kind of a nice, again, one of the Easter eggs that people get excited well, about. Well, overall, I, I liked that particular visit. I know we had some things to say about how the visits went in right. general. But Hurley's visit, I thought, ha- had a little touch of, of humor in it. Oh, because definitely. Because Hurley can't really separate the, the real people from, from the spirits anymore. Yeah, am I talking to a guy in a wheelchair? Yeah. Don't, you know, oh my God. I thought, yeah, definitely, definitely well handled and there. And he recognizes Abaddon. Right, which is very key. And, you know, basically it's Abaddon is now another one of those characters that people are realizing are woven into their stories. Um, Locke does acknowledge that he remembers Abaddon putting him on that plane that gets him on flight 815. So the question there is, was that a Widmore plan from way back then? I mean, basically, we've been asking since the start of Lost that these people were put there for a reason. These people were on the plane for a reason and ended up on the island for a reason. Maybe because we know now that Locke was chosen or special or thought of that since he was a small child, that Widmore did set this all up, that Widmore did put Locke on the island and is now trying to get him to go. I mean, I just kind of like that continuity, if it is that. It can also tie your head in knots. Well, um, I mean, that's an awful lot of power for one person. Right. Well, I, it's what, what's fascinating to me is that if you follow one possible chain of events, it's this. Locke is moving around on, on, in the island, and he basically tells um, Richard Alpert to come see me when I'm born because I'm telling you I'm from the future. Alpert goes to see Locke, shows him the compass, but Locke, young Locke doesn't recognize it. Um, but basically at that point, Alpert says, okay, this Locke person is special. Uh, they, they track Locke, they, Locke grows up, and basically Widmore gets involved and says, we need to get Locke on the island to to overthrow Ben. So then he puts him on flight eight fifteen, and he goes. I mean, but but Locke set this all in motion in the first place. That's true. He did. So anyway, maybe I just talked in circles, but I, I, <laughs> I uh, that's why we love this show so much. Anything else uh, stood out for you? Well, Jack's beard. Hmm? Well, because I mean, when when Locke goes to visit Jack, Jack still seems pretty together. You know, Jack seems to have, if not all of his marbles. At least most of them, and he has no beard. Okay. So I'm wondering what, how much time passes between the time that he goes to visit Jack and Jack starts flying, because we're told he's already started flying. Well, at least his first flight when Ben goes to see him. Well, that's an interesting question. So yeah, uh, how how quickly does Locke become um, a drug addicted maniac um, after a conversation with Locke about his dad? He sort of, I think he had a beard. Didn't he have a beard? A little though? bit of a beard, but nowhere near the Grizzly Adams beard he's sporting <laughs> at the end of season three. Well, obviously they're trying to use the beard to show how unhinged he is, and he's already started that process by the time he goes to see Locke. So I think maybe to some extent his descent has started before then. Perhaps for for example, his visit from Christian Shepherd in the lobby of the hospital was probably prior to Locke showing up and right. basically pushing him over the edge at the very last minute. But it does seem that it is only this visit by Locke that convinces Jack to start trying to get back to the island. And he does tell um, Kate that he's been flying every Friday. How mm-hmm. many Fridays has that been? I mean, it, it, it does seem a little compressed. It, I, I, it does quite a bit. 
very curious. But I mean, I think again, a lot of the things in this episode had to kind of be compressed and rushed. It did seem like they were um, hitting all the points they needed to, to hit, and to heck with the details. They just wanted to get this stuff out of the way and move forward. So I can sort of agree with that philosophy as well. I just wish that <laughs> there was like a, a better or, or more complete and well set up timeline because. You know, it's easy to pick up on things like facial hair. Right. At least for me. Anyway. Well, and, they, and the thing is, if they didn't want us to care about the details about dates, they they why why do they give them to us? That's I mean, they true. write them in. It's in the script. It's been X days, three weeks, four months, something years. So uh, there should be someone should have a basic idea of what they're saying on this episode on the show. So yeah. I can the frustration is definitely natural. As far as the timeline goes, one thing that I did kind of like was you know, um, Widmore says we led we protected the island for, for thirty um, years for three decades. So if you say 1955 or thereabouts with the Jughead incidents is sort of the start of this peaceful leadership, um, if that was peaceful, um, that brings us to 1985. And then after 1985 would, I guess, be where, you know, Widmore gets bumped off the island. And then mm-hmm. he says he spent 20 years looking for the island. So that gives you to 2005 to when he finds the island with the freighter. So that period also is when Ben, I guess, was running things. So to some extent, at least in terms of larger time periods, we're kind of getting a map of the um, of the evolution of leadership on the island. And the only other uh, data points that we need to place, I guess, are where the purge happened mm-hmm. and where the incident happened, um, which are also key points. But, you know, now we see the succession, the, the conflict. So to some extent, I think they've cleared that up. But when you get into timelines i think the best answer to all of it was when uh, Locke says to ilana oh yeah the uh, timing would just confuse you right you know what <laughs> i think in some respects maybe the writers are just saying maybe we shouldn't overthink it too much and i think that's a pretty fair uh, suggestion to make yeah as far as locations we got a couple of notable or a few notable ones this week because Locke was traversing the globe when he went to visit saeed the school there that's actually the same area or the same building as where uh, mr echo killed the drug lords and the place where jen's father lived when he was poor so uh-huh. over there on the windward side, same building, same area. Um, the school where Walt was, uh, we in Honolulu know that area quite well. It's uh, Cole Academy mm-hmm. in downtown, and it's actually the most expensive preschool on the island. But uh, I guess you know they basically have much older kids there with Walt. And uh, the the most spect- one of the most spectacular scenes in the episode, of course, is the crash. Right. And I love that because Locke goes to see. Um, Helen's grave. He's she's buried in uh, Oahu Cemetery, the the historic cemetery on Nuuanu Avenue. Mm-hmm. So we watch him fly out onto Nuuanu Avenue, and less than a second later, he's in downtown. He's, he's in Kakaako. He's uh-huh. right next to Comp USA, next to one waterfront tower, a very distinct um, purple glass building, which you also see in a brief shot when he gets into that car wreck. So it kind of reminds most of us living in Hawaii when shows film here, like mm-hmm. when Magnum PI was here, Hawaii Five O. Hawaii Five O was no- notorious for shots like that. Yeah, the guy gets in the car, he drives out of a driveway on this part of town he makes a left next thing you know is on the other side of the island so always uh, fun to catch stuff like that um so i think my voice is going i think that's pretty much it for our two cents on this episode we'll take a break and when we come back we'll hear from you all everybody hi brian and jen aloha this is dave calling from boston long time reader long time listener first time caller and uh, I'm primarily calling because you all uh, don't have the blog up and running. It sounds like there's some site issues going on, and I feel really compelled to talk about uh, last night's lock-centric episode. Um, really liked it a lot. Actually, thought it was one of the better episodes this season. I don't know if it was the best episode this season, but it was right up there, and probably one of the best ones we've seen so far. Um, I also thought that the 
conflict of Ben versus Widmore was really, really interesting. They sort of initially painted Widmore as this really fierce and ominous guy. He then comes across as compassionate. But once again, we're seeing this whole dichotomy of who is who is the self and who is the other. Um, and Ben and Widmore have kind of set that up nicely, much in the way that we saw the Losties and the others back on the island initially. It's not always clear who's wearing the white hat and who's wearing the black hat. I thought the acting at the end of the episode with Ben and Locke was fantastic and that Ben really had me convinced that he was a uh, far more benevolent figure than we had seen before and a very pious guy. And it also set Locke up as sort of this Christ figure. And then he turned around and, and reeled on my... I don't know enough about uh, the biblical origins of all of this, but perhaps as the Judas figure there. Um, but thought it was really compelling acting, really, really good acting. And once again, we see that Ben is... Um, perfectly comfortable slipping in and out of his skin and, and lying and putting things over on people in order to uh, to to meet his own desires. We start things off there with our first-time caller, Dave. Well, we love our first-time yes. callers, but certainly yes, basically encouraged to pick up the phone because of that frustrating outage of our website. It was gone for a couple of days, and we definitely appreciate, again, everybody sticking through. Despite the fact that we were missing in action for a couple of days after the episode, we have over 80 comments on the blog. Always a good conversation. We encourage you to check out and participate in. But as far as Dave's call, a lot of good stuff there. He loved the acting. I think we certainly agree. Terry O'Quinn and Michael Emerson were both brilliant. Right. That scene was uh, fantastic and of course that scene being key with the twist that Ben turns around and kills Locke and he's, he points out the parallels with if you're talking biblically there's our Judas yes absolutely I was wondering when we were going to get to the Judas part of the, the if you're going to be going with that story yeah. where's that guy well I guess it's Ben and Marco and Dave also made the same observation on our blog Fonda from Gooding Ohio um, also mentions that when John is eating the mango it, it calls back the story in the Bible about Jesus eating to prove that he was resurrected. Ah, that's right. So a lot of good biblical references in this episode, uh, even though it wasn't this episode that was entitled 316, which right. many people called in to say that we forgot to mention the biblical reference in the title there last week, but uh, they're not letting up on this stuff. Now we have some calls from Peter, Jackie, and Mark. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Peter in Orlando, uh, first-time caller. Um, I uh, just wanted to have one comment on the show last night which i enjoyed however looking back i just found something weird and that is with um Locke and his meeting with walt in new york and we see the entire greeting and uh them leaving so we see the whole conversation and nowhere in there does he mention that he is going by the name jeremy bentham which is how when Walt goes to see Hurley, that's the only name that he used. Um, I found that kind of odd. Maybe they will uh maybe they will address that and he had a dream or something. But um anyway, uh love the podcast. Keep up the good work. Thanks, bye. Hey Ryan and Jen, it's Jackie from the Jersey Shore. Uh first time, long time. First, I want to say that your podcast is just amazing. I uh, look forward to it every week. Keep up the great work. Uh, in regards to the latest episode, uh, first off, it definitely held my interest and, uh, you know, just flew by. Um, so on that note, I thought it was great. On the other side, uh, I think Dalton probably should have asked for seven seasons instead of six seasons because everything feels very rushed and forced 
and the character development isn't anywhere near what it was uh, in previous seasons. Uh, case in point, the whole uh, Jack Locke and Kate Locke interactions did not match up at all with what the airport scene showed uh, Jack and Kate talking to each other about. The, the whole conversation was completely different. Is that poor writing? I don't know. Is it going to be explained in further future episodes? I hope so. But at the airport, Jack said that the only reason that he wanted to uh, go back to the island was to keep Kate and Aaron safe. Kate told Jack that the reason that she told Locke that he was crazy, none of which happened in the conversations that we saw. Um, I'm really confused. I hope it's not poor writing. I hope they're not uh, trying to get too much done in too short a period of time. But I'm starting to feel that way. Anyway... Uh, great job, as always. Look forward to hearing your uh, points of view on this episode. Take care. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Mark from a little town in Illinois called Harding. This is my first time calling, but I've been listening for a long time. You guys are definitely my favorite. I wanted to call because of something I noticed on last night's episode. In the scene when Locke is walking around in the hotel room, stumbling around because of the cast on his leg for about only three seconds they show a shot of his foot that's in a cast and would you believe there are only four toes there now this shot is definitely intentional they did not have to show us a shot of his foot right so it could be the cast is covering one of his toes it could be damon and carlton are messing with us because they know we are looking for things like this or it could be Locke really has four toes could Locke be the four-toed statue? I don't know. And I don't know if that's even possible from what we know yet, because the statue is ancient, and Locke would have to be known to the islanders long before we've seen him there. So what do you guys think? Do you only see four toes? I do. You guys are definitely my favorite podcast. Thanks for doing this every week, and God bless you. Bye. Thanks for those calls, folks. Uh, Peter and Jackie on similar points, which is basically we knew that there were conversations that Jeremy Bentham had with our Oceanic Six, and we didn't actually watch them have those conversations. Right. There are pretty some big pieces missing. And it kind of made me think, you know, Peter's co comment about not knowing that he's Jeremy Bentham is key mm -hmm. because we saw their entire conversation. You can get out of it with uh, Kate because they obviously edited it all out. Um, and maybe there's some other differentiating circumstances. When um, Jeremy Bentham goes to visit Hurley, he's wearing a name tag. He tells Saeed that his name is Jeremy Bentham. When he goes to the hospital, Jack probably saw him checked in as Jeremy Bentham. So a number of them could know he was Jeremy Bentham, but how could Walt? So, right, absolutely. And I love that Jackie is basically saying maybe they're going to explain all of this stuff later, but maybe they're just kind of in a hurry. And I think we express that I'm thinking that they are in a hurry. I'm hoping there's more to it than that. Um, because they, they do only have a season and a half left. Right. I mean, you basically get the idea, especially with Jack, as both uh, Jackie pointed out and even Henry from Berkeley uh, uh, posted on the blog about that. The conversation with Jack and Locke uh, was significantly incomplete, given everything that Jack previously explained to Kate that, you know, uh, Locke said about what happened on the island. We didn't see any explanation about what happened on the island. So I thought that was pretty key. Bryce from India as well uh, gave us a call um, kind of pointing out these uh, these inconsistencies. But I did want to get to Mark from Harding with the, something I hadn't even noticed. The four toes. Yes, the four toes. We see a shot of Locke's foot 
with his the four toes I loved it. I had to go back out. to check, and they're darn right. I mean, why is that shot there? Why would they show us that foot? I think that's fantastic. I that mean, is fantastic. It seemed kind of weird that they showed Sawyer getting his foot hurt, so that got everyone talking about Sawyer being the god that the ancient people built a, a tower to or built a statue to. But this one could be even more likely, I think. That's kind of awesome. Um, but, of course, we will need to see Locke take a pretty big jump to basically have that influence on an ancient culture on the island. But I loved that call. We have calls now from Kim, John from Atlanta, and Evan. Hey, guys. This is Kim. Um, first time caller, but I've been listening for a while now. Uh, the episode, The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham, was, you know, it just ended a couple minutes ago. And all I have to say is, wow, it was really great. So the people that were like the Oceanic Six, they were teleported off the plane to the island in the 1970s, uh, which is why they found Jin. But then the rest of them are in 2008. So I remember when Sawyer and and um, Juliet and the rest of them were on the boat in the future paddling through the water? It was probably those um, other people that crashed that was following them and shooting them with the guns. <laughs> the time travel has gotten really crazy. But um, anyways, great podcast, um, great episode, one of my favorites this season. So many things answered, so many things done. I felt so bad for Locke. He was amazing. Uh, that's about it. Thanks, guys. Hey, friends. It's Jono from Atlanta. Um, I had a theory from last night's episode, The Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. Okay, so Charles Woodmore mentions to Locke about a war coming, and he wants to help Locke return to the island. Given the wonderful amount of exposition Whitmore covers about himself, he knows that Ben is off the island and the island is moving around somewhere out there. Whitmore also mentions to Locke about seeing him of like 50 years ago, so he knows something fishy is going on with time travel, or at least time displacement. Um, perhaps the war he is referring to is the Purge. I mean, say that if Whitmore can get Locke back to the island in the right time, he thinks, uh, keywords thinks he can change history or prevent himself from leaving the island in the first place. He could be the leader again and so forth. Now, I know that contradicts what Damon and Carlton have said about the slim chances of rewriting history, but maybe Woodmore doesn't know that. Maybe it would be a lost cause for him, and that would be the example the writers give about history cannot be rewritten. Something like that. That's just my theory. But uh, thanks, Ryan and Jen. Um, uh, that was one of my favorite lost episodes of the series so far. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. It's Evan from the mainland again. Just calling about the new episode of Lost. So I was thinking that since Matthew's job working for Widmore was to get people where they needed to be, that maybe Christian had a similar job before the Lofty's flight, um, before 815 crashed. Maybe his job was to round up as many people as he could to eventually end up on the plane because he has ties to Sawyer and Lucia, Claire, and obviously Jack. So it could be that, like Locke, Christian also needed to die to be resurrected on the island in order to save the island and everyone involved. Um, and I know Christian's death is linked to a heart attack, heart attack or said to be a heart attack, but since we never actually see him die, I mean, we all know what happens to people, that we don't actually see what happened to them, like Jin and things like that. So um, just a theory that maybe uh, he has a similar job working for Widmore and has a path to the island. All right, thanks. Bye. 
Mahalo for those calls. Uh, Kim making a likely connection there that now we have a pretty good idea of who's got the canoes. Uh-huh. And in fact, why they'd be upset if they decided to take off with one of two canoes because yeah. they've already lost one. Right. So I can see Ilani and Caesar saying, all right, that's it. We, we're not losing any more canoes. Let's go get it back. <laughs> I kind of like that. John O saying that what Widmore is trying to do is change time, even though he can't. What do you think? Yeah. Well, may, I'm thinking Widmore... Even though he knew Daniel and was funding Daniel's research, he might not be completely aware of how the whole thing works. I think that's a poss- I mean, that's an interesting thought. But you know, he says there's a war coming. If he basically was trying to send Locke back to stop the purge and to save himself from being ejected of the island, that's not to me a war is coming. That to me sounds like he's foreshadowing the conversation he had with Ben in his bedroom. That you know, you broke the rules and now there's going to be hell to pay. I think that's yeah. the war. I think that's still more contemporary. But it'd be kind of interesting. I mean, it did seem that we've now seen Widmore only now in the free, in the present figure out that time travel is an issue because he notices that Locke doesn't age. So uh-huh. I thought that was, but that's a good thought. And finally, Evan from the mainland uh, picking up an interesting parallel. Yeah, Christian is Matthew Abaddon's predecessor. That's pretty cool. Yeah, who else was responsible for getting other people on eight fifteen the uh-huh. same way that you know we were trying to get everyone on to three sixteen? A good catch, but uh, Christian is still a kind of an anomaly. I don't know where he fits into this. I don't know whose side he's on. I don't know what side he'd be on in the upcoming battle i don't know is he a whitmore or a a linus Uh or is he a jacob or where does he fit you know he's he's appeared to both jack and to Locke and to others so yeah definitely i think christian um is someone that is going to have to be key coming up and that it might not be a binary fight there might be more parties at play right um we have three calls now from mike alex and lila yes jen and ryan this is mike from maine and I think one of the things, listening and reading the uh, different uh, uh, forums and stuff that is being missed, is the fact that John Locke makes decisions that affects the Losties as they go along in the show. And I think his decision not to bring back Walt is the decision that causes the the malfunction of the transportation of the Losties back to the island in the same time frame. I think Eloise had mentioned that in the previous episode, saying that if they don't all come back, she's not sure what would happen, but that there would be a problem and she couldn't predict what would happen. And I think by not bringing Walt, Locke made that decision and the decisions affecting everybody and how they get back to the island. Love your podcast. Great job. Looking forward to the next episode. It's a wonderful season this year. Locke. Hey guys, Alex in Boston. So I've been calling you for a couple of weeks complaining loudly about slow, character-driven episodes. And this week we get one that's very character-driven, kind of slow in terms of what happened, but actually I really, really liked. Um, I don't think a great deal sort of happened in the episode. Uh, We just sort of see Locke touching base with these touchstones in his past, Um, but it's all written very, very well, uh, almost lyrically a lot of the time, and most importantly, the acting is what really carried this episode. Um, I think Terry O'Quinn is the best actor on the series. our fellow who plays Ben Linus, whose name's escaping me right now, but uh, I think is the second best. And Lance Riddick is also an amazing actor. So all three of those guys uh, just carried their scenes very well and worked well together, and I thought made for a great episode. So I'm on board with this one. Hey, Jen and Ryan. It is Lara from Maryland. Um, loved last night's episode. Really enjoyed it. Uh, um, the interesting thing to me was that it seems like, um, you know, just like Jack had to kind of have that have that leap of faith 
um, and kind of, you know, believe other people. I think Locke has to believe in himself. You know, all through the seasons, although we've seen Locke really take, you know, initiative, it's always for someone. You know, people are saying, you know, is Widmore actually evil? Is Ben actually evil? I think they both can be. They both can be bad people who are doing bad things, maybe for good reasons. But either way, Locke has to finally take initiative. And, you know, there's so much of his storyline. It's overcoming this kind of, you know, need to please other people, this need to, you know, not really feel as confident about himself as he should. Um, and he needs to take that, that leap for himself, just like Jack needs to take the leap of faith in believing in someone else. Um, so that's what I uh, think about last night's episode. Um, I have other stuff, but, uh, you know, thanks, guys, as always. I love the podcast, and uh, have a good week. Bye. Thanks for those calls. So, Mike, there, Walt is still important. I I like that because that whole scene between them had to mean something. And if it's just to illustrate to us that Locke screwed up, then I'm okay with that. Well, I I, I definitely am among the people that feel that Locke, uh, Walt is central to the overall story of Lost. He was a character written from season one. He was kidnapped. They wanted him. He was special. He was more than the uh, Dharma Initiative where Ben could handle. Um, you know, he gets off the island. So I think that it's very likely, it's very reasonable to think that his character is going to be key and coming up in the future. But also, I you know, when I watch the scene where basically Locke lets him off the hook because he's been through so much, it makes me wonder if that's the writers basically trying to tell us, please let forget this Walt thing. We're done with that storyline. No, that's lazy. I want them to do something more with Walt. I really do. All right. Well, Alex in Boston there saying that, you know, character development was, you know, kind of slow. And now this is character driven, but he liked it. He thought it turned out pretty good. Yeah. Well, so did I. Yeah. And definitely, I think many people have, have picked up on the acting in that scene. Would you say Terry O'Quinn outacts Benjamin Linus? Or, I mean, you know, um, Michael Emerson? It's it's a tough call to make. I think it really depends on the episode. I think it depends on what each of them are called to do. Um, I think they're both... They they both have their strengths. I'm definitely an Emerson fan out of the two. Um, but uh, Lance Riddick, boy, I mean, he's fantastic. And it's kind of sad if this is the end of his story. He's scary. Well, that's what we kind of like on the show. Finally, Lila saying that, you know, here you go. Locke had his own leap of faith to make. And actually, when she says that, it makes me think, well, basically, leaping off the desk is kind of a leap. Yeah. But that's not a leap of faith. That's a leap of despair. It's the exact <laughs> opposite of the leap of faith. But it's certainly a good point that, you know, Locke is always directed by and fulfilling uh, prophecies of others and never really kind of stepping out on his own. That's true. I think we've seen him as a leader role earlier on. We've seen these flashes of the cool. John Locke, but we're not seeing a heck of a lot of it anymore. No, so no, do you think, his faith has definitely still been shaken. Because, do you think there's still room in the arc for him to come back one more time for John Locke to rise and be the man we all want him to be? One more season. All right. Um, for uh, three more calls, George, Dave, and Mario. Hi, guys. This is George from Texas. This is a, I'm a first time caller here. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to make a comment. Uh, well, two comments. First comment is. Um, I didn't understand exactly why Locke didn't tell uh, the Oceanic Six specifics to get them to come back. So I think if uh, um, he had told Kate, for instance, that Sawyer was still alive, um, you know, she would have probably been much ready to come back. Uh, also, my, my other um, question is, I, I still don't really understand why been killed Locke, if Locke was going to kill himself in the first place, and uh, if this whole idea of sort of sacrifice that uh, would cause the Oceanic Six to return, I, I don't understand why Ben would let him live, and then um, 
um, uh, just turn around and kill him. I mean, it, 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 it kind of puts in the question of exactly how much does Ben know is, because if Ben doesn't realize that John Locke's sacrifice is going to return everybody to the island, uh, then, uh, I, I, anyway, it, it, it seems very vague to me, uh, Ben's motivations for killing uh, Locke. Anyway, that's it. Great show. Um, you guys take care. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Dave calling from Michigan. Like everyone else, two calls in. Love the show. Just wanted to leave a couple thoughts on the life and death of Jeremy Bentham. I, like I'm sure a lot of people, had really high hopes for this episode and was left a little disappointed. It answered a lot of questions, like what happened to Walt. I know that was brought up last week. But it just seemed like Locke was just going around pitching, you know, his little comeback, and everyone just said no, which really wasn't that interesting. Um, so I'm interested to see what the general opinion is. Um, the end was a little little interesting with Ben. Um, so the question there is why why didn't he just let him kill himself if he wanted to do it anyway? And uh, it's good to see that Ben returning to the island he returned, but it definitely had consequences for him. Anyway, love the show, guys, and uh, have a great week. Stay lost. Hey, Ryan and Jen, it's Mario calling from Houston. And I wanted to call to say that I really enjoyed last night's episode. Another good episode for me. I have to agree with what you guys have been saying the past couple of weeks, that the pace has slowed down a little bit. And I think because so much information and so many winks coming at the audience in every episode seems to give the illusion that the tempo is a lot faster than it really is. There's so much to disseminate. But I think that's one of the great uh, parts of this season is that it's been just a great season every episode. Um, The one question I had for you guys, and if you haven't commented on this already, is I was really confused by Ben going, you know, all out for about five minutes lecturing Locke on why he shouldn't off himself and why the island needs him, but that the mere mention of Eloise Hawkins he just pounces on him and strangles him to death. I was like, what is that all about? You know, I'm still trying to figure out who are the good guys, air quotes, if it's either the Woodmore camp or the Linus camp. I mean, what's going on? Um, really love the podcast, really enjoy it, and we'll continue listening, and um, talk to you soon. Mahalo for those calls. So George says, why didn't uh, Locke mention Sawyer? I don't think it would have made any difference. I mean, yeah. she knows he's there. She's, you know, she's aware that he's there. And I think at that point in her life, when she, you know, been living with Jack and she was settled in, I don't think there was going to be any changing her mind. Anyway. Yeah, I think basically she'd written Sawyer off. I think that um, basically she didn't want to be reminded of it. I, I, I mean, she went. They went out of our, their way to showing, even though they showed only a part of her conversation. She said, "Yeah, I know. You're saying everyone's going to die, but I don't care." So I mean, that's got to include Sawyer. She right. has to have that in the back of her mind. But you know, questioning what uh, Ben's motivations are, I think we're all sort of asking that same question. And both Dave and Mario kind of saying, "What's going on?" with uh, Ben killing Locke after talking him down from killing himself. Um, We kind of discussed that uh, earlier on, but uh, Dave was saying that he thought that he was a little disappointed in this episode. Well, I, you know, I had issues with it too, but I mean, I I can hear, I see, I know where he's coming from. Um, But mostly my concern is that they're giving us too much 
without answering a whole lot. Right, or they're filling they're give, they're filling in blanks we've already filled in uh-huh. with. So, and I think and and we've mentioned I think that's going to happen more and more. We had a great call uh, that we're not using where someone said, you know, Lost is a five hundred piece puzzle. They've put in the 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 border of it, and we're filling in filling in parts of it. And the the end of that metaphor is that when we get down to the last four or five pieces, we're all going to know what those pieces are because we can see the big picture. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, it's still going to be satisfying for us. And Mario giving an explanation, perhaps in answer to Dave saying that, well, you know, I think it seems like it's slowing down, but it's just there's so much information and they're they're actually paying off stuff kind of as as a wink to the audience. So it seems like it's going faster to that. But um, certainly, uh, who are the bad guys and who are the good guys, Widmore or Ben? Um, Well, I mean, I don't think we have the answer to that just yet. I have my own opinion, like I said, but... You think Ben's now the bad guy? Yeah. Yeah, you can't see him do that without thinking that. We have three calls now from Wally, Shabu, and Anthony. Hi, this is Wally from Ohio. Love your podcast. Wonderful episode. We were trying to figure out why Ben would possibly kill Locke, and the only conclusion we could come to was that Faraday had maybe given Locke the name of Eloise Hawking, and Ben knew that once John Locke knew where Eloise was, he would fi- he would stop at nothing to find her and therefore lead Whitmore to her. So in Ben's mind, the only possible thing he could do to stop John would be to kill him. So I think Ben was just trying to keep John from finding Eloise and therefore preventing Whitmore from finding Eloise. Thanks a lot. Great episode. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Shabu calling from Philadelphia, PA. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, had a theory uh, about what's going on on Lost right now. Um, if, in fact, our Oceanic 6 or 5 are in the 1970s or so now, uh, that that could mean that they, they'd be able to run into young Ben uh, at the Dharma, uh, with the Dharma Initiative. If so, um, could, could it be possible that they give uh, Ben the information that's needed, that's making Ben do all the things that he needs to do now, uh, i.e. kill Locke, um, um, you know, everything that we think that Ben is doing maliciously could, in fact, be uh, already told, foretold to him that this is what he needs to do to uh, make everything right on the island. Um, I don't know, just thought, uh, love your show, and I hope to call more often. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Hey, this is Anthony. Um, I'm new to your podcast. This is my first time calling. Just got done watching the episode The Life and, Life and Death of Jeremy Bentham. And I was thinking, uh, Whitmore is trying to get back to the island, and so was Ben. And Whitmore was close. He had his, his freighter outside the island, and he had his men actually get onto the island before. So I was thinking, if he knew where the island was, why wasn't Whitmore on the boat to begin with? Like, you would think if he wanted to get back to the island and leave so bad, then why didn't he just go with the freighter? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that they will they better answer that in the next few episodes or so. Uh, just give it a call, Anthony from Philadelphia. Namaste. 
Mahalo for those calls. And we've got Wally saying, uh, I don't know why Ben killed Locke either, but maybe it's because he was trying to keep Locke from getting to Eloise. Right. Well, I, I don't really know if he's trying to protect anybody. I, I mean, I don't see Ben being out for anybody but Ben at this sure, point. Sure. I mean, I think basically he's he wanted to get Locke, stop Locke from getting to uh, Eloise because he wanted to be in Locke's place. And that's right. what we see him do. I, he, you know, one thing Wally says is he's trying to protect Eloise maybe from Widmore, but Widmore knows exactly where, yes. where Eloise is. Yeah, he does. Because he told Desmond where right, she he, was, he did. So if it's not a matter of getting, you know, trying to keep Widmore from Eloise, there's definitely some bad blood there, but they're perfectly aware of each other and their locations. And we've got a couple of first-time callers, and in fact, both from Philadelphia, Shabu and Anthony. Shabu saying that um, what we're going to see is everybody running into the young Ben and give him so much information that the young Ben grows up to do everything we see him do. I like that. I think that's a little weird, but I mean, we're basically seeing several opportunities for our losties to give each other the information or to put them down on the path that we see them already on so mm-hmm. um, but that's really where the nosebleeds and headaches come from Anthony from Philadelphia asking well if uh, Widmore wants to get back to the island so bad why wasn't he on the why didn't he get back when he had the chance well I was thinking that he didn't really know where to find the island I mean I think when the freighter found them it was completely by accident mm. you know I don't think anybody anticipated Jack being able to unjam the signal that that led them to communicate with a freighter. Right, and I think basically Whitmore's been living off the island. He's got a multi-million dollar corporation to run. He's not going to be tootling around in the ocean until he finds the island. He's got all of these different ways to find it, but until he knows, he's not going to be on the ship. But actually, now that he mentions it, I don't think Whitmore's goal is to necessarily get back to the island. Do you get the feeling... I, now that he mentions it, the conversation with Locke, he's not saying you I, you're going to get me back to that, and he's saying I need to I get want you, you back to in that. power. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, maybe that isn't again in, to the end of having him in charge of the island someday. Widmore returning to power on the island, but we were not given any sign at this episode that returning to the island physically was one of Widmore's no, objectives. No, he he just wants Ben off. Right. Well, we got a lot of great Lost Land calls. Don from Baltimore, Ron from Montclair, Matt from Minneapolis, Anthony from Philadelphia, Jeremy from L.A., Dixon from Nashville. I wish we could get to all of them, but we're glad to hear from all of you. I think we'll get now, though, to our blog uh, and email comments. Painter Girl writes, My husband and I were discussing the motivation for Ben to first save Locke, then kill him. We believe he didn't know the name of the person who could help both Ben and the Oceanic Six return to the island. When he finds Locke about to hang himself, he sees it as a lost opportunity to use someone to get to the island. Once he gets Eloise's name, however, he sees Locke only as a threat to his leadership once back on the island. If this is the case, though, why does he work so hard to get Locke's body back on the island? Is it only as a proxy? Does he know the island will restore Locke? So Painter Girl asking a lot of the same questions, but I think his her last point is the key, which is if Ben really was thinking he's going to replace Locke and replace him on this mission and in leadership of the island in his return, he's also the person that worked the hardest to bring, bring Locke's body back. So, That's true. I mean, if he believed that, uh, it, could it possibly be true that he believed that Locke's body was necessary in a magical or mystical sense to be there to recreate the conditions of the crash, but that after that his body would have no consequence? I don't know. He, I mean, it must have occurred to Ben that the island does have certain properties that heal and resurrect. I mean, that can't be lost on him. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it'll be, I just can't wait to see the next scene with Ben when he wakes up. One, did he expect, didn't he expect to flash with Hurley, uh, Jack, and Kate? And he's going to be a bit d- dismayed, I think, that he didn't flash with them. And also that Locke's there and ready to kick his butt, which <laughs> also hopefully is going to happen. Dave G sends an email. Uh, ben killing Locke raises questions, no doubt. I think that Ben wanted to protect Eloise from falling into wind 
Widmore's hands. Since it's true that Daniel was already working for Widmore from the start, Ben may have wanted Widmore from getting a complete set. I also feel that after he killed Locke, he was truly remorseful and told the truth for the first time when he said, I will miss you. I believe that Locke's death was one of those things that needed to happen, whether it was suicide or murder, the universe universe course corrected. Well, the, the remark about the complete set kind of brings to mind chess a little bit. Right. You know, games are like a, a theme. And everyone's a pawn uh-huh. in the, between Ben and Widmore. Uh, although, again, I think that Widmore could get to Eloise Hawking anytime that he wanted to. I think that we he sent Desmond there, so it wasn't a mystery. So I'm still kind of curious if that was the motive, if, you know, what it is that switched. I think it's basically Ben's knowledge of Eloise's existence or her ability to get them back to the island that uh, basically made him kill Locke. But do you think Ben will really miss Locke? Was that a moment of truth? I don't think anything that comes out of Ben's mouth is the truth. Oh, I see. Well, definitely you've chosen a side in the great battle. (laughs) Thomas writes, Ben did not kill Locke out of spite or vengeance. Ben knew that Locke had to die to get the O6 back on the island and himself back as well. It was his destiny. But Locke could not kill himself or the ultimate redemption of his soul would not be complete. In effect, the island would not allow him to live on the island again if he killed himself. Ben killed Locke to help him fulfill that destiny. Again, Lost is full of these kinds of weird dichotomies. I think we'll see Locke thanking Ben in future episodes for killing him and allowing him to have eternal life. Interesting perspective. Keith from San Antonio also sent a similar message, and, you know, it reminds me of Michael. Michael attempted repeatedly to kill himself, but could not kill himself. And when he finally dies, it is at someone else's hand. And I think that uh, it's quite true that, you know, if you're going to go with religious references, uh, you're going to basically talk about how suicide is a bad thing. So that this is kind of an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Dave G said it was uh, the universe course correcting that Locke would have to die one way or another, but I kind of like the theory that it's more important how that how he died was important, that it wasn't just that he died, but it was how he died. So definitely a cool observation. Said writes on our blog, Locke was a major disappointment to me. For someone who communed with the island, was told that his destiny lay in being a leader, for all he's experienced on the island, I would have expected him to have gone through a more spiritual, mystical transformation or evolution by the time he left the island. I certainly thought Jeremy Bentham to be an almost mythical person, judging by the Oceanic Six's reaction in the earlier episodes to be, I expected him to be charismatic and imposing, and he was hardly that. No, I have to agree with that. Yeah, I mean, there's the whole thing about Saeed saying don't say his name, you know, kind of like the whole, uh, uh, the Voldemort. whole Voldemort thing from Harry Potter, so you're like, whoa, what's up with Jeremy Bentham? They can't even say his name out loud and then it's <laughs> nothing. I mean, basically all of that uh, obfuscation with his name was because they didn't want to tell us who Jeremy Bentham was for several episodes, mm-hmm. and that's basically all it was so i can definitely agree with that disappointment adam writes so who really has john's interests in mind whitmore claims that he is trying to help john and when john asks him why he should believe him he says well i haven't tried to kill you unlike ben i feel whitmore is helping john in a similar way to the way he helped desmond he sets him on the path with no real faith that they can accomplish their goals that's why abaddon went with john if whitmore was just going to extract ben from the island what was with the c4 on the boat and the secondary protocol what war is coming to the island that john needs to be a part of ben did kill john but i have a feeling that it was the way it was supposed to happen he needed to be a sacrifice not dead by his own hands 
Ben is the real person that gets everyone to go back, including John. A lot of good observations there. I kind of like the thought about, you know, you know what Widmore is up to. And uh, the secondary protocol, you know, was if be- if I can't have it, then nobody can, I think is basically what the secondary That's protocol right. was. But uh, Ben, you know, a, a further agreement that Ben, you know, had to kill John. It was part of the overall plan. I think um, that makes me feel a little more comfortable, at least, if that's not absolutely the truth. Locke is a sacrifice that the island demanded. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting. Nice tie to Boone there. And uh, But who really has John's interest in mind? Is it Widmore or Ben? I think probably neither. Um, no, no. I mean, ultimately, they want something, and Locke is a really convenient way to get it. Absolutely. Chrissy in California on our blog writes, It scares me just a little that people are beginning to think of Widmore as a good guy. The moral compass of this character seems to point a few degrees away from North, if you ask me. You know that you know, you know the acting is good when the snakes on the show get the audience to start nibbling the forbidden fruit. Mm. As for Widmore's laughable claim that he led the island peacefully, I would ask ask what part of death by flaming arrow is peaceful anyone who can handle a weapon the way those 1950s others could is probably not a free wheeling hippie they wiped out the u.s army jughead team with their love beads i'm sure well i'm not saying widmore is good i'm just saying he's not as evil as ben ah okay so you're just they're both bad guys but one's less a bad guy than another but i mean chrissy makes a good point you know the 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 others that we've met the the group that the young charles widmore was a part of it's not exactly a peaceful loving um, commune not exactly the the namaste bowing and you know peace folks that we think that they were right I mean, so yeah. i think there's uh, the 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 overall story of what the dharma initiative is what their real aims are and what their uh, what they made it what they made people think their real aims are are two different things but a good thought chris writes on an email my theory on the coming war it's not a war between ben and widmore but between jacob and christian the clues have been subtle but there jacob's first words to john were help me but help from whom when christian came to the island he started to take over. The next time we see Jacob's cabin, Hurley saw Christian in his suit and white shoes. Then the panicked eye of Jacob looks through the window. It's at that point Christian replaces Jacob, not speak for him like he claims, and takes over. We don't see Jacob again, and Christian's clothes change to a more native attire to reflect his new role in controlling the island. From this point, we see Christian multiple times manipulating John, Claire, and Jack to do whatever his plans are. Interesting thought there, Judge. You know, Jacob versus uh, Christian and what the, you know, because Jacob and Christian are both, uh, they seem to be, if you're if you're creating the pie chart, or not the pie chart, but the organizational chart of the island's um, authorities, I would think, I would agree that it seems at least Jacob is one tier above the whole, you know, Ben versus Widmore battle. And it could be that Christian is on that level as well. Could be. But I hadn't even thought about the transformation or the appearance of Jacob and how it basically becomes at a specific point, clearly Christian in that role and in that cabin. So maybe that was, maybe we did see a overcoming or a takeover over there by, by, by the spirit of or by the actual Christian shepherd. Um, Russell writes on our blog, here's my theory. I think Matthew Abaddon is Walt. Hear me out. When Locke approached Walt in the city, Abaddon says, I'll give you two some privacy and disappears. Maybe because he didn't want himself to see his future self back to the future style. When Locke returns, Abaddon says, I take it you didn't ask him to come back. But how would he know that? He wasn't around. Walt didn't jump in the car with him, so it could be assumed that Walt wasn't coming. But how would Abaddon know that Locke didn't even ask him unless he remembers the conversation? But didn't Walt see Abaddon? Yeah, I mean, when he looks across the street and sees Locke and he waves, the pers- the very imposing large man behind him is definitely Abaddon. He does not miss that Abaddon is there, but maybe he just didn't want to have a close face-to-face conversation with him. Yeah, maybe. 
but you're not a believer in the Abaddon is Walt theory? Um, not really. No? Well, I, I like the thinking. It's kind of creative. I, I'm definitely not in that camp either. I've heard that a couple of times. And also, there are a lot of people who believe that uh, Charles Widmore is baby Charlie Desmond's baby Charlie of Penny no. so that he's not her mom but her son and that would just kind of freak me out too so um, but I love the show that it got gets people thinking creatively we'll see if, if if you're right then I'll eat my hat right here on the show Christian Texas writes in last week's podcast someone suggested that Charlotte learn Korean from Candle Chang whoever I think Jin teaches Charlotte Korean as we see he has been hanging around Dharma folks long enough to be a part of the security team I'm guessing he probably learned English with some help from the young Charlotte too and she learned some Korean from him perhaps not fluently but enough to continue to study Korean in later life now that's a theory that I like yes I mean that uh, Charlotte knows Korean because he, he she helped teach this strange Korean man who showed up when she Christy was young. wins. That's fantastic. <laughs> it beca- because oh, there's just many ways in which that's absolutely awesome. So I, I hope that's true, uh, that Charlotte learns Korean from Jin. Fantastic. So, wow, we're well over an hour here. So we just want to thank everybody for writing, calling, and commenting in. Um, I did want to mention Elias, Connie, and Alaska. They both said, uh, they also, point, also pointed out that Locke died of strangulation just the way that Locke's dad did at Sawyer's hand. So, oh, yeah. you know, what goes around comes around. That was a very similar kind of awkward and uncomfortable violent death. But in any case, we appreciate everybody, even though we can't include everybody. So please let us know after each episode what you think. Please call us on the last line at 808-356-0127. Leave a comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost or drop us an email at lost at hawaiiup.com. And we certainly hope that the blog is there this time. Yeah. All right, folks. Sorry about that, guys. That's it for you all, everybody. We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're going to step into the forward cabin. This is where we hide production news, rumors, spoilers, sightings, and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you don't want to know what's coming up on the show, you might want to skip ahead. Welcome to the Forward Cabin, where we look ahead on Lost. And first, we'll start with the preview. What did the announcer say was coming up next week on Lost? Sawyer and Juliet come under fire. Kate asks Jack what they're supposed to do now. Julia asks who they are. And Sawyer shoots at someone and pulls a bag off someone's head. Sawyer takes off his glasses and asks, is three years long enough to get over someone? The voiceover promises surprise twists, shocking turns, heart-stopping revelations, (laughs) and the moment you've been waiting for. Uh, I wonder what moment that is. Uh, definitely looks like there's going to be a lot of stuff. The episode is titled La Fleur. La Fleur? La Fleur. And uh, the ABC synopsis is, Sawyer perpetuates a lie with some of the other island survivors in order to protect themselves from mistakes of the past. So Sounds good. Interesting stuff. And uh, so that's next week, but uh, a little further out is what's being filmed right here on the island right now. So it was actually a pretty busy week in Lost Production. Um, Chris J. and Fish Biscuit. Um, both reported in seeing setup over at Kualoa Ranch with crew working at and near the fish ponds and the Dharma submarine was definitely being put back Yay! to work. In fact, a crew member told Fish Biscuit that they've had at least three shoots with the submarine in the past month, only one of which I've heard of and mentioned here on the transmission before. So there's been more submarine than I thought. And Chris J took a lost tour and the guide mentioned that she saw them set up the Namaste sign on the pier and they blew up the submarine again. Again? Again. More 
more pyrotechnics. And so the question remains whether Locke blew up the submarine in the first place. Those theories are going to all come back, I think. He also said that he saw the security fence, you know, the Dharma security fence that they don't want to pass through. They, he saw the posts built and set up again in the mountains. Now, more recently, just Friday, in fact, there were two shoots in downtown Honolulu, one at St. Andrews, uh, once again playing Oxford, and another at a restaurant on North Pawaki Street in Chinatown. And I was able to sort of visit a couple of them before I came home and collapsed, I think, in bed at two in the afternoon. Yeah. But in any case, uh, lost spotters Brian and Roxy did not disappoint with some reports. And in fact, Brian uh, got scooped from a relative of his who was actually an extra in both scenes. So the Oxford scenes involved Daniel Faraday and his mom, Fiona Flanagan or uh, Eloise Hawking, uh-huh. and Teresa Spencer, the bedridden girl Desmond saw a few weeks ago, the one that Daniel apparently put into that state. Well, apparently Daniel and that girl were an item. She was sitting next to him at the graduation and kissed him when he went up to get his diploma. Um, in that scene at Oxford, Daniel had an argument with his mom, including something regarding a grant he got from an undisclosed donor. Who would they, Who might that be? Dun, dun, dun. Probably Widmore. And then they go, I guess, to have dinner or lunch at a restaurant, and Daniel is eating with his mom. And in that scene, she gives him a box. He opens it up, and he looks surprised. And according to Brian's contact, it looks like it contains the notebook that we've seen him carrying around on the island. Mm. So how long has that notebook been in Daniel Faraday's life? Definitely interesting question. And finally, another extra apparently let slip that she'd been working on a scene the night before in a hospital with Penny and Widmore. Mm. And my understanding is that it was Penny that was in the hospital. So that's Ah, kind of a bad news, good news thing. Um, Bad news that it might have been, in fact, uh, Penny that Ben went after, but good news in the sense that she well, might she's not. she's still alive. Right, she's yeah. still around. So that's it for this bit of the forward cabin, and that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. Next week, we're going to be taking a look at the next new episode of Lost, titled La Fleur. Now, a programming note, after La Fleur, um, Lost will be taking a week break, so we will be taking that week off ourselves, Absolutely. because that same week is South by Southwest, and Ryan will be attending the South by Southwest Interactive um, That's right. Festival. I'm going to be flying out to hang out with all the geeks in the weirdest city in Texas, uh, Austin. I'm definitely looking forward to it, and uh, it'll be great if there are some Lost fans out there. Definitely drop me a line if you're going to South by Southwest, but don't despair. Uh, both Jen and you listeners, I will be back in time for the next episode of Lost on March 18th. So, you know, it, it just worked out. The timing of this hiatus was perfect. We were kind of worried because Yeah, we the didn't hiatus, know how we were going to handle the break. Yeah, um, the hiatus was going to be last or this coming week, so uh-huh. that would have thrown everything off. We could have missed two episodes, or actually two weeks at least, and uh, in fact we're not going to miss any. It just sounds like the, the island is making sure people are where they need to be. It's fate. Or is it coincidence? I definitely love it. So in other words, we're going to be here, and we hope you're going to be here as well. So at the end of Le Fleur, please call us on the Lost Line at 808-356-0127. Drop us an email at lostathawaiiup.com or visit the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Now remember that the transmission is available in both MP3 and it has AAC format so you can skip around to all of the good stuff and you can find the links on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Alright folks, once again, thanks for listening. Stay lost. Aloha.
This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.